So this next couple of Sundays, I just want to take your attention towards a sermon series that I have titled as King of Kings. The Lord of Lords. King of Kings. Oh, while I was just meditating on this, just, just that portion. God is the King of Kings. Why does it matter to us? There are so many kings that we see in the provinces of India many years ago or around the globe. There were many kings, but Jesus is the King over all of those kings. Are you with me, church? See, listen, uh, Pastor Miles Monroe will always say this in his books and his preaching. Every king is identified as a king because of his kingdom. A king must have a, a kingdom. He must have a domain where he rules. He has a domain where he commands and his followers, his citizens will obey. A king must have a kingdom. Listen to this church. We are the New Testament church of Jesus Christ. We are the temple of Jesus Christ. And each of us in this room, we are the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Not combined together, but as individual beings that God has created, we are the kingdom of Jesus Christ. He rules over our life. In the New Testament, or in the Old Testament, you see the word of Je the, 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 Jesus was also identified by his disciples and the writings you see. He was identified as the Lord. Uh, Peter called Jesus as the Lord. Uh, disciples called Jesus as the Lord over their life. What does Lord mean? Lord means, the word Lord uh, in, in the Greek Bible you see, it, it means kurios. That's where you see Sean's last name, kuriakos comes. Kurios means my Lord. My Lord. Kurios. My Lord. What does it mean? Somebody who rules over. Are you with me? When Peter said, Jesus, you are the Lord of my life. It simply means I now surrender. Not to the ways of the world. But I now surrender to the ways of Jesus Christ. And I now surrender... To everything that Jesus has to say in my life, I will continue to do because I now declare you are the Lord of my life. How many people in this room who has accepted the Lord as your personal Lord and Savior? We have said, God, you are my Lord. You are my Savior. What does it mean? Everything that Jesus says, we get to do it. Come on, somebody. Every single word of God that he has proclaimed and his church to follow it, we're going to do it. Why? Because he is the Lord of our life. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Either Jesus is our Lord he's, or he's not the Lord at all. Listen to this. Either Jesus is our Lord or he is not Lord at all. Let that thought just sink in. I cannot have Jesus leading me on a Sunday morning and Monday to Saturday, whatever it is. If he is the Lord of my life, then he is the Lord of my life every single day that I am alive. Every single day that God has kept me here, he is the Lord of my life. And I will walk in his way. And as I pray that, you know, we must make that as a commitment in our life. The way we do life, the way we interact, the way we talk, with, the way we do business, the way we mingle with people, the way we, you know, uh, uh, interact and do stuff. I pray that we continue to understand the Lord, Christ, is the Lord of my life. Every king must have a, a kingdom. You and me, 
as an individual person, we are the kingdom of God. I pray with the personal commitments that we have made in our life, we continue to understand, Lord, I want you to rule over me. I want you to rule. Listen, in God's kingdom, there is peace. In God's kingdom, there is joy. In God's kingdom, there is healing. In God's kingdom, every single blessings that God has proclaimed in the whole Bible, 66 books of this Bible, every single blessings that God has proclaimed, it only applies in the kingdom of God. Are you with me? It applies in the kingdom of God. As an individual, when we invite Jesus to rule over our heart, over our life, over our family, we sing those songs, you are the king of my life. And I pray it's not just because the music sounds good or the lyrics are really cool or maybe Hillsong of Maverick City is singing it. No, I pray that we understand the really, the, the truth behind it. Lord, I want you to be the king over my life. The king over my emotions. The king over my thoughts. Even when nobody is seeing, I still believe you are the king of my heart. You're the king of my life. I don't just do life because I'm alive. I don't just do life because, you know, I get to hang around with some cool people. But in the doing life, I understand that God, He, Jesus, is the king over my life. He's the king over my life. Listen to this, y'all. Let me read, uh, let me read uh, today um, from Matthew chapter 2, verse 2 and 3. Matthew chapter 2, verse 2 and, uh, and 3. I'm going to read it for you. Um, it's on the screens here. It says, um, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod, the king heard this, <clears throat> he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him. Here in the story, it's the classic nativity scene where, you know, we come to the understanding that three kings, the three wise men are coming to see Jesus. You know, how many of you all, um, you know, we, we decorate our home with the nativity scene and, you know, even at church sometimes we have that being, uh, you know, portrayed during our worship or whatever. Uh, in, in, in all of these scenes, you know, sometimes we, we put the images or statues of the three kings as well. And baby Jesus is still in the manger. Can I just break your bubble there? You know, Jesus was not in the manger when these three wise men came to see Jesus. He was a young boy at that time. He was a young boy. He was grown up in that time. And all of these three kings came from far east in the Persian countries, far east. And it took almost nine to 12 months, almost a year plus for them to come and see Jesus. But as they are coming to see this King Jesus, in other words, the scriptures help us to understand where is he who was born King of the Jewish people, King of the Jews. For we have seen his star in the east and we have come to worship him. Can I just declare Wise men still seek Jesus. Well, let that thought just sink in. Wise men today still worship Jesus. 
They seek Jesus. When I believe in this room, we have people here with good intellectual capacities. And you're wise because of the wisdom God has provided in your life. And with the intellectual capacities that we have understood the work and the ways of God, we are still seeking Him. Not just on a Sunday morning, but every given opportunity of our life, we're saying, God, you're the King of my life. You are the ruler. You are the Lord of my family. And I surrender my life. Wise men came seeking Jesus. They were asking for, where is the young boy? Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? Now you might say, if he is the king of the Jewish people, why do I care? We talked about it yesterday. Why do I care if he is born as the king of the Jewish people or the settlers in Israel? Why do we care? But can I just tell you, as the New Testament church, you and me, we were Gentiles. You and me, we were foreigners. But through the blood and the redemptive work of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, we have been grafted into the lineage of who Christ is, that he becomes a king over our life. I'm an Indian. We have people here from different places of our world. But together, we become part of the lineage of who Christ is so that he becomes a king over our life. Hallelujah. In the genealogy of Jesus and through the scriptures in Matthew chapter 1, when you see the genealogy, you see there are people mentioned who are not Jewish people. You see people who are prostitutes. But they are still mentioned the genealogy of the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. They were people who had different lifestyle. But they are mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. Why? Simply to showcase to the world. That we may not be perfect people, but still the grace of God has accepted me the way I am. He has washed me and cleansed me and he becomes the Lord over my life. I am grafted into that family. Praise the Lord. I was not born in Israel to be a Jew, but I'm grafted into the family. I don't want to be a Jew, but I'm, I'm whatever I am through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. His grace has accepted me the way I am. Wash me, cleanse me. I don't change my color. I am the way I am. I will die the way I die. But in the process of my life, somebody has come into my heart and he has changed me the way I am. He's the king of my life. Are you with me, church? How many of you would boldly confess during the season, Jesus, you're the king of my heart. You're the king of my life. You're the king of my thoughts. You're the king of my doings. You're the king of my belongings. You're the king. And if he is the king, let him rule. Are you with me? If God is the king, let him rule. Listen, the son of God became man to enable men to become sons of God. C.S. Lewis, his famous quote. He says this, the son of God became man so that the sons of men can Sorry, the, so that the, uh, the men can become the sons of God. What a gracious, redemptive work of Jesus Christ. The first coming of Jesus was very meek and humble. And 
And it was almost like an incognito mode where he didn't want the world to know. He didn't want people to know. He was born as a baby in a manger in a place where no kings one day kids to be born at all. But Jesus was born in a manger, in a, in a very lowly place and lonely uh, a night where with just his mom and dad around, Mary and Joseph around and few other animals around them to give them company. I wonder how the labor pain would have been for Mary when, uh, when all these donkeys and all these uh, animals were making sound and noises. I don't know if it was soothing and helping in the manger. But Jesus chose to be born in such a lowly place. The first coming of Jesus was very meek and humble. Nobody knew about it. And he himself did not want to make everybody know that he's the king. It's very humble coming of Jesus Christ. But listen to this church. The second coming of Jesus Christ will not be the way he came the first time. The second coming of Jesus Christ, number one, he is coming to take his glorious bride with him the new testament church i talk about the love of jesus i talk about the grace of god i talk about the mercy of god but at the same time it's the other side the flip side of the same coin but i have to mention about jesus coming back to judge the world as well the first time he came to slay sin in men the second time god comes back to judge and slay men who are dwelling in sin are you with me? Praise the Lord. The first time Jesus came to slay sin among men. The second time Jesus comes back to slay men who are living a sinful life. The second coming of Jesus is very important. I pray during this season from the young kids to our older people. Even in our Sunday school lessons, I pray. In our, in our life groups, wherever we gather together, I pray that we try to pump it into the hearts of people. Jesus is coming back. In the Old Testament, in the New Testament, whenever the disciples gather together, they always used to greet each other by saying, Maranatha. You know what it means? It means the Lord is coming back very soon. Very soon. Maranatha means the Lord is coming back very soon are you with me church and i pray that will be the anthem that will be the anchor of our life that we continue to understand my life is not because i am alive i'm just living it because i'm born but with a purpose god has placed me here god has placed me here he's coming back for me he's coming back for me for my family each of us isn't that the blessed assurance we have in our life that there is somebody who's coming for us. Whenever somebody comes our, to our home and they leave, they stay with us for some time. And when they leave, example, you know, we have our parents who come once a year and stay with us for a couple of uh, months or weeks. And, or we have family members who come and be with us. Whenever they leave, their last words are very important. Their last words, when somebody is leaving, is very important. In my house, in my family, we have a practice. Whenever somebody is leaving, my family comes, my parents come. When they come and they stay with us and they leave, um, uh, we, we, we have a family prayer together. We pray together and uh, because my grandparents, they will bless us and bless our children. Uh, and, and, and also they will give them some money. They will give them something. And my children, they look up to the gifts that 
parents are leaving them with when they are traveling. When I travel out of uh, my home for ministry, whatever, I gather my household, I gather my family together and I, I proclaim the blessings of God over their life. The last words when somebody's departing is very important. Just two days ago, I was in the hospital. I was, uh, you know, as a work as a chaplain. I was working uh, and then this one person was passing away and, uh, and, and, and one of their last wishes, she couldn't talk, but one of the, her last wish was that uh, her children surround and we made arrangements for her children to just walk into that room. And they were just holding hands and being in that space and we allowed them. Those last words and last moments are so, so important. When Jesus was taken up to heaven, the angels came and this is what they said. When Jesus was taken up to heaven, the angels came down in Acts chapter 1 verse 10 to 11. It says, and while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, Two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. When Jesus ascended into, uh, uh, into heaven, the ascension of Jesus, he walked with his disciples. He taught them for over 40 days the ways and the works and the ministry that they have to carry out to the ends of the world. These are some of the last conversations of Jesus with them. But two angels appeared and strengthened these disciples and let them know, hey, you know what? You're gazing into the sky and standing here like hopeless men. But I want your life to be filled with hope again. And he declared, Maranatha, our Lord will come back again. Jesus will come back again. Let that be the assurance of our life. That my Jesus is going to come back for me. He's coming back for me. Young children in this room. No matter what age group you fit in, you belong to. But I pray, no matter where this media is streamed. But I pray, we live a life with hope that my Jesus is coming back. He is coming back. He is coming back. Y'all. He is. Co- That's the blessed assurance we have. Jesus is coming coming back ready or not Jesus is coming or let me repeat that again ready or not Jesus is coming we have a lot of scriptures to share in the New Testament it talks about the 10 uh, virgins who were waiting and the coming of Jesus and you know you see you see the scripture portions that talk about which talks about Jesus's second coming and they were not prepared. One group was prepared. The other group was not prepared. And talks to us about how our life could be. How our life could be. But I pray. I pray. We will prepare ourselves. For the coming of Jesus Christ. Ready or not. Jesus is coming back. For his church. When will he come pastor? I don't know. The angels don't know. That's what Jesus himself doesn't know. When will he come back? We don't know. Only God the Father knows. In the given appointed time. In the fullness of time. Jesus is going to come back again. That's our blessed hope. In the scriptures, there's another portion that I want to mention here. Real quick. And it's uh, John chapter 20 verse 7. John chapter 20 verse 7. John chapter 20 verse 7 says, And the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head 
not lying with the linen clothes, but folded up in a place by itself. What does it mean? You know, the disciples of Jesus are now wondering where Jesus has gone and they run into the tomb. But when they run into the tomb, the only thing they find in the tomb was the napkin, the clothes that Jesus was covering himself or the people had covered Jesus with. So there was a tradition back in those days. If you look into that, there was a tradition back in those days. The folded napkin had to do with the master and the servant. And every Jewish boy knew this tradition. Whenever the master got up from the table, he folded his napkin and laid it beside his plate. The servant would not dare to touch the table because the folded napkin just meant, I am coming back. Are you with me, church? The folded napkin on the table simply meant, I'm not yet done with this meal. I'm coming back again to continue what I started to do. When the disciples ran into the tomb of Jesus, John chapter 20 verse 7 helps us to understand, and the face cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the other linen clothes that was covering his body, but folded up in a place by itself. What does that mean? For every disciple, every Jewish boy, it simply means one thing. My Lord is coming back again. My Savior is coming back again. And that is the hope that I want to give to my church during this first Sunday of December. Jesus is coming back as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Jesus is coming back for His glorious church. Jesus is coming back for His bride, the Holy One that He has separated and kept it so far. Jesus is coming back. Can I have the worship in behind me? The folded napkin should have vacant the anticipation within us. Sometimes when we wait for certain things for many years, what happens is we lose the interest of what we are waiting for. Are you with me? When we wait for something to happen in our life. I know as a church we are waiting for, we're waiting for a property to move in. We've been proclaiming, declaring and praying and fasting and asking and looking out for uh, uh, buildings and whatnot. And as I was preparing this sermon, I'm just asking, as you're waiting, I'm preparing you. As you're waiting, never take the waiting time of God for granted. He's preparing you in the waiting time. He's preparing you as you're waiting. Some of us, the destination to our um, our vacation, you know, is so important. And we think about our destination. We have so many memories about all the destinations we have had. But do you also remember the journey? The journey is as important as the destination is. God does His miraculous in us through the journey before we reach the destination. Are you with me? I pray as we are waiting for the return of our Savior, God is developing us, preparing us. Yesterday, in the uh, cottage meeting that we were gathered at Shalom and Rinsey's house, uh, celebrating the birthday of Isaiah, one of the things that I helped the church understand was, as we are waiting for God, help us, help one another, we grow in the maturity of Christ Jesus. Grow in the headship of Christ Jesus. That's what God wants us to do. Not just be... Um, 
a newborn baby all the time. We celebrated Isaiah's first birthday yesterday. But I pray and I'm, I'm sure that both Shalom and Rinzi and all the young parents in this room, we're looking forward for the next birthday. We're looking forward for the next year with our children. Why? We don't want our children to be always be dependent on us. We want them to grow in life. We want them to grow in different stages of life. That's exactly how God wants His church to be. God wants His children to be. That we grow in the maturity of Christ. I was a baby Christian, but I'm no longer a baby Christian. I am growing. Each of us in this room, we are growing. Challenges come, struggles come, obstructions happen, things go wrong, the way we didn't plan it, you know, confusions happen, things go wrong, brothers and sisters. But as we are waiting for the return of Jesus, He's preparing us. He's preparing us. Listen, when Jesus was born, the three wise men came. The first wise man, He opened His treasure and He gifted Jesus something. What did He gift Him? Gifted Jesus gold. What does gold mean? It means the kingship of Jesus. It means the kingship of Lord Jesus over the globe, over the created beings, over the universe. Wise men understood he's not just an ordinary baby like many others. He's the king of the universe. He gifted him gold. How is gold prepared? It's prepared through a process of many beating and crushing. Prepared through a process of fiery furnace. It has to go through a process of rejection. Go, go through a process of separation. Go through a process of being pure and cleansed. Jesus became the king of kings. Not because of any other earthly kings. He's the king of kings. He's the king of kings. Because in Christ Jesus, you and me, we are kings as well. We are the prince and the princesses, the children of God Almighty. In the Garden of Eden, when God created Adam and Eve, one of the commandments, one of the blessings He gave them was, I want you to rule over. Are you understanding what it means? I want you to rule over every created being on planet. I want you to have your dominion, that you take over, that what you say will come to pass. In other words, might sound very cheesy here, but when Adam and Eve were reclining on their sofa in Garden Eden, Garden of Eden, you know, the lion walked by and they saw the four legs and a, the straw, you know, the mane and all that stuff. And they said, hey, you know what? You will be called lion. And from that day onwards, whatever they named came into existence. I pray. The authority God has given you in other words, you are God's kingdom. He rules over you. You have the authority because He is the king. We are His prince and princesses. We are His children. The world around you, call out the names. And what you call out will come to pass in your life. What you call out will come to pass in your life. Can we all rise up in God's house? I sense a mighty anointing in this room. This whole season I pray that we will surrender ourselves in anticipation of the second coming of Jesus. Jesus is coming back again. He is my King. 
He is my king. Revelation chapter 3 verse 11 says, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will ever take your crown. Listen, y'all. Jesus has provided a crown for us. He says, I am coming back. Hold on to the faith that you have. Hold on to the joy you have. Hold on to the belief you have so that nobody else will take this away from me. I'm going to read some statements in this room right now as the music is lovely played behind me. I'm going to read out some statements and I want you to believe this as I'm going to uh, 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 repeat this in this room right now. Listen, he is purely powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? That is my king. I wonder you know him. That's my king. He is the king of Israel. That's my king. He's the king of righteousness. That's my king. And he's the Lord of lords. He's endurably strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's morally graceful. He's purely powerful. He's impartially merciful. I wonder, do you know him? Do you know him? He's the king over my life. He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He is God's son. He's a sinner's savior. Do you know him? He's the king of my life. He's the king of heaven. That's my king. He's the Lord of lords and the king of kings. He's the only one qualified to be all sufficient. Savior, Jesus, I wonder you know him. That's my king. That's my Jesus. He supplies strength to the weak. He's available for the culprit and the pride. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. I wonder you know him. He's the king of our life. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives the sinners. He discharges the debtors. Jesus, that is my king. I wish I could describe him. I wish I could describe him. He's indescribable, comprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. I cannot get off in my mind. You cannot get off of him from your mind either. He is my king. The Pharisees could not stand him, but they found no guilt in him. I couldn't find any fault in him. Herod could not kill him. He is my 